Welcome to Practically Perfect, the podcast all about cats. Stay tuned to learn about cat behavior, tips and tricks for cat owners, community cat information, and much more. Here's your host, Carrie Poppins. Welcome to another episode of Practically Perfect. I'm your host, Carrie Poppins, and today I have a special guest joining me all the way from New York City, Miss Beth Edelman, who is a feline behavior consultant out of New York, and she is also on the executive committee of the feline division of the Pet Professional Guild. Welcome, Beth. Well, it's nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's nice to have somebody all the way across the country, too, expanding the reach. Yay. (laughs) Awesome. So can you tell me a little bit about you and how long you have been in the feline business? So I've been doing behavior consulting um, somewhere around, I can't remember, it's between 15 and 20 years, like more than 15 and less than 20 Because when I started, it was very much a sidelight for me and it grew into a larger and larger um, part of my professional life as, as, um, as I learned more and as I had more mentors and studied more and became more confident. And, you know, I live in New York City. That's a big, big city. A lot of people have cats. And surprisingly, not so many people are doing cat behavior consulting. And when I started somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago, very few were doing it um, based on the science of cat behavior and animal behavior. So um, I've been happy to see that it's been growing. There are a lot more people practicing in New York now, and that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. It's. I'm sure it's changed a lot. I know it's changed a lot in the past five years that I've really involved in the cat behavior world. Um, Imagine how much has changed in the past 15 or 20 years with all the science and people actually wanting to learn more about cats and why they do things. Absolutely. And and we've been really lucky that there's been an explosion of both health and behavior research in the last like 10 years. And so kind of, you know, everything we know about cats has, has sort of changed But in a good way, like, you know, a lot of us, when we first started practicing, we were basing a lot of what we were doing um, on our own experience and on the experience of our peers because we just didn't have anything else to go by. We had dog behavior science, but we knew the cats weren't dogs. And so, you know, we didn't know what else was going on, but we've been really lucky that the science has been coming in and it's enabled us to refine what we're doing in a more science-based way. Yeah, science definitely you know, I always tell people when you know better, you do better. And science helps us to know better and know better things. Um, And, you know, one of the misconceptions about cats, which I think is still a little bit too common, um, is that they are just cats. And, you know, they don't really have a lot of independence and personality and they just kind of exist in our homes and they do what we want them to do. You know what I mean? Um, And so what we're going to get into talking about today is really our relationship with our cats and the choice and control and fairness that we can give to them in that relationship. Well, you know, it's funny because I find it goes one of two ways. Either 
it's exactly what you said that people are like my cat should do what i want you know like a cat's <laughs> kind of like a little you know stuffed animal that you can manipulate right. or it goes the other way and they're like my cat's such a diva you know she she <laughs> only wants what she wants and i think neither one of those is is a very um a very accurate or nuanced understanding of animals and of cats you yeah. know and to say my cat has you know my cat will just follow my preferences that's well you're not a cat so you know right. your preferences are, are not your cat's preferences but the and other i see that more in how we're like setting things up in our homes for our cats you know when we talk about cat furniture and giving them those appropriate places and it's people are like well it's my house Right. And, and yes, but, <laughs> but, you know, and that's, that's very, very true that people set their houses up. You know, I, I see that like starting with litter box, you know, I don't want to see the litter box. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put it inside, you know, some little chest that has a tiny little hole that's turned towards the wall so that right. I will never have to see it. And, and, you know, so there's no stopping to think, you know, the cat has to then walk around behind the chest and step up into the hole and then down into the litter box. And yeah, I mean, it's, you got it. You got to imagine how your cat feels in a lot of ways. I think you got to imagine how your cat feels and it's, it's hard for people to do that because we're not cats, but, but you know, I, I always say to people, it's the same litter box in the basement. And I think, yeah, you know, if you had to go down in the basement where it's cold and drippy and maybe there's little mice down there and bugs and whatever, <laughs> Every single time you had to go to the bathroom, uh, you wouldn't be so happy. And, <laughs> you know, you may not decide then that you're just going to pee in the corner of the kitchen, but your cat right. would. Your cat would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and a lot of these understandings really come from that developing our relationship with our cat. I do find that more of my clients that have a more connected relationship with their cats are more willing to kind of see things from their cat's perspective. And that's very true. And I think also a lot of times our cats tell us what they want, but we don't see that that's what they're doing. Right. So scratching is another example. So let's say you have all these, these, you know, those cardboard scratchers that lie flat on the floor, which are great. And a lot of cats really love them, but the cat's still scratching the side of the couch. So the cat is actually telling you, yeah, I like my cardboard scratcher, but I also like something vertical to scratch. I like to reach up and scratch something vertical. That The cat's telling you that. The cat's telling you, I need something vertical to scratch. So you might look at that, the cat scratching the couch, and say, oh, my cat is telling me that he needs something. Or you might look at that and say, oh, my cat's just bad. He's scratching the couch. Mm -hmm. Spiteful, evil little creature. You know, a lot of it depends on on what you take from it. You know, the cat, cats are just, they do stuff. They're telling us what they need. If the cat's not using the litter box, they're telling us that they need something different than what we're offering. You know, if the cat's jumping up on top of, you know, the, the, the sofa or jumping up on top of the refrigerator, they're telling us that they need a high space. If they're scratching the sofa, they're telling us they need something wide and tall and, and sturdy to scratch. They're never telling us that they hate us or they're spiteful or they're mean. They're telling us that they need something. And we just need to listen and say, oh, honey, I see you need that. 
And then I'm a big believer in there's always a compromise. If your cat tells you, I need something tall and sturdy and stable to scratch, you don't have to say, okay, I give up on the couch. You can say, okay, I'll get you something tall and sturdy. That's not my couch. Right. It's always a compromise between what the cat needs and what you're willing to give. Right. And that, again, that is kind of getting in the cat's head and looking at it from their point of view to see, okay, I'm listening now. I'm going to give you a different option so that we can both be happy. <laughs> uh, you know, I think, and I think a lot of this, we have some weird cultural stuff about cats being divas and cats being spiteful and so forth. I, I had a client once who told me that the cat scratched the couch because she knew it was the most expensive piece of oh, furniture gosh. in the house. <laughs> wow. I didn't know cats could read credit card bills. Well, that's what I said to her. I said, <laughs> does your cat read the credit card bills? And if she does, does she understand what she's reading? <laughs> How could she possibly know that? Right. That's <laughs> You know, it is the crazy things that we as humans come up with in our minds to justify why, why things are. <laughs> when if we just kind of did understand science and behavior and things like that a little bit better, we wouldn't have to come up with these silly justifications. It, it is just the simple fact that there aren't enough things that she likes to scratch in that particular angle, that particular type of fabric that she likes the feel of her nails on and, you know, all of those different factors that play into it. So it's so important to look at what your cat is telling you and then give them an appropriate choice of what you find appropriate really as the human. Um, but look at, look at the options that she's kind of screaming at you. <laughs> That's, that's very well said, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, we look at cats and we think they're kind of inscrutable and mysterious, not so much, you know, if we just kind of look at them with a very clear and open mind, like a very blank mind, we can sort of see, oh, you know, every time I put her food down, she jumps up on the counter, you know, maybe she's trying to tell me that she'd feel safer eating in an elevated space. Right. Hmm, if she keeps doing that over and over again, maybe she's trying to tell me something here. Right. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's, it is amazing how much cats can communicate with us and we can communicate with them as well without even realizing what we're doing. And I, I actually think that's one of the exciting things about having a pet in general is that when you, you kind of stop trying to put your ideas on them and just kind of open up, you can actually like communicate and have a relationship with another species how cool is that that's so cool it is it is you learn learn to speak cat literally yeah. without having to meow and purr <laughs> <laughs> so how can people use things like choice and control to change their relationship with their cats well i think you know first of all i want to talk a little bit about choice and and say how important it is for animals because i think it's it's sometimes easy for us to forget how important choice is for animals for cats we decide you know what the litter box is going to look like what kind of litter is going to be in it where the box is going to be we choose the cat furniture we choose the toys 
we choose the food, we choose what time the cats are going to eat, we choose what time we're going to play with the cats, we choose what pieces of furniture the cat may be on, we choose what pieces of furniture the cat may not be on, in some places what rooms the cat can be in, mm -hmm. and so forth. So, like, imagine in your life what would it would be if you had no control over anything. Like, that's like what happens when people are in prison. They have no control right. over anything. That's what right. happens you, to people in prison. You get fed this. This is when you go out. This is when, yeah, everything. This You everything stay in here, you go out there. You. These are the clothes you wear. This is your schedule. Everything is dictated for you. That's like being in prison. Generally speaking, people don't like being in prison. Right. Okay, so, and, and animals don't like that. A lot of what makes prison punishing is that you have no choices. And here's something really interesting that we've learned in studying behavior. So there are things that, that are called primary reinforcers. So primary reinforcers are things that we want to have without having to learn anything about them. So like food and water. Those are things we just are born wanting to have. Being safe, being warm, um, being able to sleep. Those are things that we're just, everybody is born wanting. Okay, right. so those are called primary reinforcers. We don't have to learn that those are good things that people might want. There are things you have to learn about, like money, you know? Children don't know anything about money, so they don't really want money. Or like having the latest sneakers, you know, fashionable clothes, whatever. That's all stuff we have to learn about. Right. So those are not primary reinforcers. You're not born wanting them. But primary reinforcers are things that you're born wanting. And so here's something that we've learned in behavior science, which is that choice is a primary reinforcer. All animals are born wanting to have choices. So that's why prison is so punishing, because you have no choices. And that's true of animals, too. And we've actually studied this, and we know what happens when animals don't have choices. And we've studied this in cats and dogs and apes and mice and humans. And we found that when they have no choices and they can't control anything that happens to them, it really raises the stress level. Mm -hmm. And there can be um, problems that come with that, including um, health problems, uh, inflammation. It also lowers learning ability. It lowers immune function. And it in increases obesity, having no choices. And that's true in a wide variety of animals, including cats. So not having choice is actually perhaps more dire than we might have thought. Yeah, it's amazing how all of those things connect to something so simple. And I think we can think about it ourselves. If, you know, if any of us have the kind of jobs where your boss never listens to you and you never get a choice about what you get to do, you're just always hearing, oh, just be quiet and do what you're told, that's pretty stressful for us. And when we're under that stress all the time, we start to feel crappy. We, feel it, we get headaches, we get stomach aches, we don't sleep well. We feel crappy in various ways. So I think if we start to think about it, we can think about in our own lives what happens when we have no choices. I think it's interesting, though, because a lot of people may not relate it back to the fact that it is that lack of choice. You know what I mean? Like they might not even think of it in that perspective in that way. And then once they kind of realize oh, I am less stressed when I do have more choices. And when I did have a different job that I was able to choose the projects I worked on and 
you know, who I was working with and things like that, I was less stressed and I had more energy and just felt better overall. And so it's pretty interesting, I think, even from a human perspective to realize all the effects that choice can have that you don't necessarily realize. Absolutely. And, and it's true that sometimes we don't recognize it in ourselves. Um, and we certainly then don't recognize it in our animals. And, and the thing is, every animal, every cat is their own little being. They are their own little being. They have their own little personalities. Sometimes they have very big personalities. I have a cat with a huge <laughs> personality. Um, but they are their own little beings. And, and especially if you've had cats before and now you have this cat who's very different from your other cat and you're thinking, oh, what's wrong with him? I expected him to be just like my other cat. My other cat loved this scratching post. What's wrong with Fluffy? You know, I think we have to start by saying each cat is their own little being. We have to meet them where they are. We have mm-hmm. to just accept the fact that they're, they have their own personalities, their own preferences. And the truth is that the more we give them choices and the more that we give them control over these little things that in the end really don't matter so much and to us, the more they're going to love us, the more they're going to see us as the people that they adore, that the people they want to, they want to interact with, you know? So, so the truth is that, that the more you let your cat make their own choices, the more they choose to be with you and pay attention to you because the less stress you're causing and the more happiness you're causing. And an important thing to remember, I think for a lot of humans is cats aren't spiteful creatures. Um, You know, I always tell people humans really are the only spiteful things (laughs) that are out there. Um, And cats do behaviors because there is some sort of consequence or outcome um, of that behavior. So, you know, they jump up on the counter because there's been food up there in the past um, or they scratch on the sofa because that's the surface that they like. And, you know, we know all the functions of scratching with the stretching and nail maintenance and everything and the marking, the scent marking and visual marking and everything like that. Um, And so when we don't give them these choices and we don't give them these, this control, they do certain behaviors that we see as the spitefulness where all they're doing is just being a cat and doing something because, okay, well, you aren't giving me a choice of what I really want. So I'm going to do a different behavior because that's the only thing that exists in my life. Absolutely. And, and it's, when you think about it, I, I, I hear a lot, especially I hear this with inappropriate urination, which is really, you know, inappropriate from our point of view, not necessarily from the cat's point of view, but urination in places that are not the litter box. So, you know, I hear this a lot. People say, oh, the cat pees on the couch because he's being spiteful. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you got to think about it this way. So that means that the cat would have to say, Oh, I didn't like the fact that that your boyfriend came over last week. And so I'm going to wait until a week passes and then wait until I really have to pee. And then I'm going to go up and get on the couch because I remember about your boyfriend and I remember that I've been angry for a week. Plus, I know that you hate me, hate urine, you know, which is actually because animals don't really find urine and feces disgusting. 
Yeah. I know that even though I don't find urine disgusting, you do. I somehow know that. And and I'm going to save this urine for a week, remembering your boyfriend as I do, and go pee on the couch. I mean, does anybody really think that cats have that complexity? <laughs> I don't, you know, I adore cats and I think they're brilliant, but I don't think they have that kind of complexity. I, I don't really even don't. think humans most of the time have that much complexity <laughs> to <laughs> So it really is hard, you know, for people to understand why cats do these things if it's not out of spite. Um, and so bringing to light the fact that it's maybe this lack of choice and this lack of control can help people to make adjustments so that they don't see these quote unquote spiteful behaviors from their cats. Absolutely. And so, you know, one of the things that I always encourage people to do is to offer their cats a variety of choices of, of resources. And that is different kinds of scratching surfaces. I have two cats in my house and I have one, two, three, four, I have five scratching surfaces. That's They're it? Diff- five <laughs> from two cats. They, they're different, play, they're in different rooms, they're different surfaces, they're different sizes, some are vertical, some are horizontal. So they have a wide variety of choices. And you know, honestly, if I found, if I found that one or two of them were never getting used, I, I could put them away or throw them away, but actually I find all five are being used. Um, you can also, if you're, especially if your cat's not using the litter box, you can offer them a choice, a couple of different kinds of litter boxes with a couple of different kinds of litter and see which one gets used. There's also, I see a lot of people who tell me, oh, I feed my cat in the morning and I feed my cat just before I go to bed. But when I come home from work, he's starving and meowing, meowing, meowing. And it's like, well, then why are you not feeding him when he's hungry? Right. He's telling you he's hungry. Why, why are you not adjusting the feeding schedule? He's actually telling you what he needs and wants at that moment. But it also goes to really simple things like touching. Um, That's a a big one. You know, I, I really believe in consent for touching. We've had a big movement now around the world, you know, to, to acknowledge that people should have consent when they're touched. And I think animals also deserve consent when they're touched. So, you know, I find that also with cats, that the more you solicit their consent for touching, the more they want to be touched. One of my cats is a feral cat, and I, I couldn't touch him at all the first two years that I had him. Wow. Um, and I respected that, you know, so he, he would just back away. He would like to be sitting at my feet, but if I reached to touch him, he just backed away. So I just let him do that. I let him know that if he put out this thing that said, I want to be near you, but no touching, I would respect that. But then I started asking permission. So when I put out my hand, I, I actually said, pet, pet. And <laughs> what I found was that he would sometimes drop his head down and let me pet him on the top of his head. And when he discovered that he had total control then of whether he got petted or not, because I would extend my hand and ask permission, pet, pet. When he discovered that he could either say yes by dropping his head or say no by walking away or simply not dropping his head or pulling back a little, he started saying yes more and more often because control was reinforcing for him. Remember we said control is a reinforcer. So control, the fact that he had control reinforced that behavior. 
And now, sometimes when I say pet, pet, he drops his head and I pet him for 10 or 15 minutes. That's how much he loves it. Wow. And he only got to discover that he loves it because he realized at the same time that he had control of when he would and wouldn't be petted. Right. And, you know, feral cats especially are can be challenging for a lot of people or former ferals or just even shy cats um, because they do kind of force that petting upon them and then they might end up having another behavioral issue. You know, they might start peeing outside the box or doing something that, again, we as humans deem as inappropriate when it all boils down to the stress created by not having control of that whole situation. Absolutely. And cats can also become bitey and mouthy because they feel they feel like they're being violated, you know, the same way as we might push someone away if they're touching us when we don't like it or in a way that we don't like. Cats will sometimes use their teeth or their claws, you know, and it's, you know, the other thing that we forget is that at the very least, we weigh about 100 pounds more than our cats. (laughs) Yep. So we're giants, we're giants. So we're giant, giant beings putting our hands all over them, whether they want it or not. Well, no wonder they scratch. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's when you think about it that way, it's like, well, of course we're gonna get scratched and they're terrified. It's a scary thing to have giants put their hands all over you, whether you like it or not. And a lot of people miss the subtleties of that body language that cats are telling us, maybe, you know, you go to pick up this cat in your home and they just slightly tense up or their ears um, pin back a little or their pupils change. A lot of people don't pay attention to those little subtle changes where the cat's basically screaming inside, I'm really uncomfortable. This is not what I want. Please put me down. And so the more we don't listen to that, the more likely they are to escalate to something um, a little bit more noticeable by humans, such as scratching and biting. And, you know, and then they're kind of deemed as these mean cats or unpredictable when they're when humans are around and and they get bad raps because we didn't listen and give them back that control of the situation. And that, that is exactly right. And and what happens is, you know, the cat might start out doing something that's our equivalent of a whisper. When we, you know, go to pick them up, they might put their ears back or they tense up their body a little bit or something like that. That's kind of a whisper. Please don't touch me. Please don't touch me. Okay. And we're not really paying attention. So eventually they have to shout. And a shout is more like a scratch or a bite. Don't touch me. I said don't touch me. Why didn't you listen? Right. When I was and whispering. The- And on the inside, they're just a lot of times frozen in those first moments. And then, again, we inadvertently teach them that that isn't working. And so they need to do that big, loud, dramatic movement of that scratching or biting for us to be able to listen and give that control back to them. Absolutely. And, you know, this sort of leads us into another thing I wanted to talk about, which is fairness, because it's not really fair when you think about it to just grab anybody, like, whenever you feel like it, whenever you want to. And it's certainly not fair if they say, don't touch me, to ignore that. 
And it's, it's sort of another thing that I think in general we tend not to think about in relationships with animals is, you know, what's fair and what's not fair. I, and I'll, I always think in terms of fairness of what happened last Thanksgiving. So last Thanksgiving I had the usual about 15 people over. We had a turkey. I carved the turkey. And after I carved the turkey, I left what was left of it on the kitchen counter. And I have an open kitchen, so my dining room table and my kitchen are kind of connected, and there's no wall there. And my not-feral cat, T'Pring, who loves poultry, um, <laughs> at a certain point, one of my guests said to me, hey, T'Pring has her head inside the turkey carcass. Uh-oh. And I looked over, and sure enough, she did. And the first thing I said was, well, that's my fault, because I know she loves turkey, and I shouldn't have left it out there on the right. counter. Totally my fault. And I knew that the instant I saw it. And so I didn't even say anything to bring. I let her extract her head in her own good time, because it wasn't fair for me to scold her or call her away or anything. I had left something up there that I knew she liked. Right. And that's, that's about being fair. So after she finally came out... I lured her down on the floor with a little piece of turkey and then praised her for coming to the floor when I called her. And then I took a big piece of tinfoil and wrapped up the turkey carcass. (laughs) And so, you know, it's not fair for me to expect an animal to an animal who actually can jump very up, up, up to the top of the counter very easily to not do so when her favorite food is being offered in an open plate. That's just not fair. That would be a completely unreasonable expectation. And I think there's a lot of things like that, a lot of unfair expectations we have of our animals. You know, and we expect them to understand English, we expect them Mm -hmm. to understand what our preferences are, we expect them to show a kind of of self-control that we don't expect a five-year-old child to show. And so we expect somehow that my cat is going to have more emotional maturity and self-control than a five-year-old. That doesn't seem fair. I always have clients that tell me, I've been saying no, and they just don't understand. And I kind of chuckle a little bit. And I'm like, you know, when kittens are born, they are not given a dictionary. They don't (laughs) know what the word no means. They only know words that have been taught to them, you know, maybe we teach them come or sit or their name. They only know things that we have taught them. And no isn't something, why do you need to teach that? What is the purpose of teaching no? Wouldn't you rather teach something, um, you know, like if they're up on the counter, wouldn't you rather teach an off cue to give them something to do as opposed to just saying, stop what you're doing? And then the cat doesn't know what is right to do. Yeah. Well, no is one of those those cues that that has no meaning. I mean, how do you do no? Right. How do you do that? Literally, stop (laughs) what you're doing. And I always tell people, I'm like, that's not, you can't just ask. You need to tell an animal what you want them to do, not just stop all behavior. Because that's really unrealistic and, again, not fair. We are setting, we aren't setting them up for success if we're just expecting them to stop and not do something else. You know, again, you're up on the counter. I don't want you up there. If I just say no and you freeze, 
well, that's not teaching anything. You know, that's not helping you learn that it's more valuable to be on the ground where you get paid as opposed to being up on the counter. And so, you know, no is that word that I always just, I'm like, just take it out of your vocabulary. Let's, let's teach them other things and other words and a bigger vocabulary of things to actually do and just ignore the word no. <laughs> Pretend it doesn't exist. Well, and you used a very important phrase there, I think, which is get paid. Because that's another thing that we do kind of unfairly is that we expect animals to obey us for free. You know, do you go to work for free? I certainly don't. <laughs> I don't know anybody. You know, and that, so a lot of people will, will, when I tell them, you know, you go to work and get paid. And then there will be people that say, well, there's volunteer work. I'm like, yeah, but you may not be getting paid monetarily, but there is something else of value when you volunteer, whether it's, you know, serving people or serving animals or just kind of having that heartwarming moment in your life. Um, so payment for humans doesn't always have to be money, just like payment for cats doesn't always have to be food. Exactly. So, and, and you get to choose what you do as a volunteer as well. Right. So, so you choose something that you find rewarding because rewards are only rewarding when you like it, when you right. really like it. It's sort of like, you know, if I'm allergic to chocolate and somebody offers me chocolate as a reward, well, that's not rewarding to me. It just makes right. me sad. It would just make me sad. Right. That like you, you can't enjoy that. But getting back to that idea of no and, and, and paying off. So, so stopping all behavior, there's no, there's no payoff for that. Right. Because animals are behaving all the time anyway. They're always doing something. So there's no payoff for stopping all behavior. Whereas if you say to, I mean, and what I do to, to get my cat off the table, for instance, is I, I say often as soon as she's on the floor, she gets a reward. And so that's, that's something she, a payoff. It's very clear. It's also because no, it's like, what is that? How do you do no? Like I said, what do you, what, what do you expect me to do? Whereas off, it's very clear. It means come down to the floor. My cats know that. Um, and there is, a, there is a payoff involved. So they have a chance then to control the outcome. Again, we get back to control. They have a chance to control the outcome of that situation. It seems like I'm controlling my cat when I'm asking her to get off, but she also has control. Because she's, I'm not picking her up and throwing her off. She's choosing to come down and get a reward. So she has a chance to control the outcome of that situation. Which So then she gets the reward I offered her, plus she gets that primary reward of being able to control the situation. I've decided that what you're offering me on the floor is actually more exciting than the chance to be on the table. It's amazing when we understand why cats do behaviors and what is kind of going on in their brain that it's, you don't have to get frustrated as a human that your animal is doing something that you deem inappropriate. You have that opportunity to have that communication with them and build your relationship and kind of change the conversation um, as opposed to people that get frustrated and get upset by the things that their cats shouldn't be doing in their eyes. I get a lot of pushback on training too, and I get it one of two ways. One is this idea of training is you're controlling the animal. And as I've just sort of pointed out in this anecdote, 
the animal has as much control as you do. Because we're not talking about force training. We're talking right. about the animal making a choice to get a reward. But the other pushback I get, and I'm sure you hear this too, is just cats can't be trained. Right. Which, if you think about it, when you shake the treat jar, your cat comes yep. running. Okay, so that's already training in action. That may not be something that you intended to train, but it's training in action. The cat learned that sound means treats are coming and has chosen to respond to it by coming. So, and when you think about that, there's a lot of things your cats have learned. You take out the toy and the cat comes because she knows that that's gonna, you know, there's gonna be play happening. You take out the carrier and the cat runs away because she knows she's going to the vet. All those things have happened because of training. And so since training is happening all the time anyway, you might as well see if you can steer the training towards some things that would make for a better relationship. You might as well steer it rather than letting it happen randomly. Right. The other thing I always tell people when they say cats can't be trained is to go, go on YouTube, go on YouTube <laughs> and search. Never mind searching for the videos of trained cats. Cause people always say to me, Oh, you know, those, those are like, those are set up, you know, you can right. <laughs> go on YouTube and search for, for the fish agility videos, fish agility. And you will see, thousands of videos of people who have trained their fish to swim through little obstacle courses. And if here's what I'm going to say. If you can train a fish, you can train a cat. Right. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you be able to, you know, it's a lot of times I feel like the, what I see the pushback, even though they don't say this out loud is they don't want to put the time to do more of that, structured training. Um, whereas, you know, again, a lot of these trainings that we've done with our cats, whether it's that can opening and they coming, come running or the treat jar or patting on the couch to get them to jump up or whatever it may be. Those are those inadvertent happen in daily life. Um, and a lot of people, when I say training, they think it's going to be oh my gosh, it's this long process and I'm going to have to put in all this work and all these hours and, and they don't realize that it, it can be done in just little increments. And I always, when I have a client that wants to improve their relationship with their cat, or maybe they have a roommate that doesn't have the best relationship with the cat, training with that cat is one of the things that I really encourage because I do see that it changes how that cat interacts with that human. Absolutely. And that's because for several things, the human becomes more predictable. The interactions mm -hmm. become more predictable. So remember, because we're giants, we are scary. And when we become more predictable, we're less scary. And that's especially when a cat has a bad relationship with someone, it's typically because that person is, is a little scary to that cat, often inadvertently, but there we are. Um, and then also the cat does have control of the outcomes. Like I said, the cat can choose to do the behavior and get a reward or choose not to do the behavior and not get a reward. And so they have total control over the outcome. Ultimately, the, the being being trained is the one who actually has control over the outcome. And, and that makes them just feel safer. And it's, it's reinforcing. Oh, I can, I, can, I can cause this human to become a treat dispenser. <laughs> <laughs> Simply by getting down from the table. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so cool, the things that we can 
do with our cats once we realize all their little nuances and the things that we can change to make it make our lives together better. So I hope everybody really understands what it means to give this choice and control and fairness um, to develop our relationships with our cats, because it really is an important subject that a lot of people don't think enough about. Um, And fortunately, like we've said, a lot more research is coming about with cats and cat behavior. Um, So hopefully over the next several years, there will be more scientific research about how these things do affect the overall behavior um, and stress levels and things like that that are involved with cats. So I want to thank you, Beth, so much for coming on and sharing all of this invaluable information with all of us. Um, again, it's just amazing what how we can change our relationship with our cats simply by giving them choices and control of different situations. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Awesome. Well, everybody, thank you again for listening to this episode. Until next time, have a practically perfect day.